0: Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today we're up with a review of BBC Good Food's Cheddar and Hazelnut Shortbread. Is savory the way to go with these classic cookies? Then, Lest you think we forgot which month this was, we'll have a preview review of a savory pumpkin bread pudding that's hopefully more treat than trick. Finally, we'll pull into the gadget garage to talk about the new appliance on the block, the Thermomix. Does this do-it-all wonder live up to its hype? Let's find out. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Stefan, back in January of 2019, I went on a bakery crawl through my hometown of New Orleans. Do you remember that? I do remember. You ate some delicious food along the way. It was quite an adventure. And- One of the places that I really enjoyed was called Breads on Oak, and it's a vegan bakery, which is not unusual to me up here in the Pacific Northwest, Yeah, but I think it's very new wave for New Orleans. At least it probably was at the time that it opened, and it may still be. Okay. The other day, I was looking at the Instagram feed of that bakery, and the owner posted a banana cream pie, and she made a little comment in the notes about... Grew these bananas myself.
0: So Oh my gosh, you don't see that very often.
1: I was so fascinated. I contacted her and she was so gracious. She wrote me back right away. I know New Orleans is a tropical humid environment. Yeah. But it didn't really cement for me until she said, Oh yes, you know, that wasn't a typo. We grow our own bananas here. We grow them right in the ground. We have 15 different varieties.
0: Whoa.
1: I thought that was so cool. She also is able to make that banana cream pie vegan Mm -hmm. by using coconut milk and agar agar. I wanted to just do a brief shout out for our vegans. And Thanksgiving, it's coming up. It's uh, about another month away. And if you're looking to make a vegan pie, think about using that agar agar and coconut milk. I think it's a great way to do it. And we talked about agar, agar. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, We talked about it back in episode 95 where we had a segment on the importance of ingredients and we talked
0: about gelatin. That's right. We did a big rundown on gelatin. And of course, if you are vegan, you don't eat that. So agar, agar can be a really nice substitute. You know, Andrea, I bet that having a fresh banana is the same as having any other kind of crop that you grow in your own backyard. They must be incredible. And- I know we have had this discussion before about other fruits, but I never considered 15 varieties of banana. But of course there are. It
1: was so shocking to me
0: when she said that. I
1: had that same thought process like, oh, I thought there was a banana and I thought there was a plantain and (laughs) I thought
0: that was it. But like so many commercial crops, there's the banana that ships well or, you know, is the nice appearance. But when you grow your own, you have so many more to choose from.
1: I know. So I just wanted to share that with everyone. I think it was a really fun photo and it got my mind spinning on all the things you can do. So I'll share a link to her Instagram feed as well. So for our vegan bakers who might be down in New Orleans, Bread's on Oak, it's a really fun place to visit. And Shemaine, the owner, is very gracious and lovely.
0: And you know, vegan or no, banana cream pie, one of my faves for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly.
0: Well, Andrea, here we are in the fourth week of October. We are wrapping up our Simply Savory month. And this week, our bake-along was the cheddar and hazelnut shortbread from BBC Good Food. When we introduced this recipe back in episode 147 last week, we reminded listeners, you know, this show and you in particular have had really good success with shortbread starting back with the Earl Grey shortbread or London Fog shortbread we did. And continuing kind of on throughout the the seasons. So Andrea, I'm hopeful that this was also a success. Let us know how it went for you.
1: Yeah, that London Fog shortbread from episode 61 still ranks very high in my list of favorites. Oh, yeah. And one of my favorite gift-giving items because it's so unusual. Yeah, and so pretty. Stefan, this cheddar and hazelnut shortbread recipe from BBC Good Food came along at exactly the right time because mm. – I was starting to despair a little bit of our Simply Savory month. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. I am the avowed savory lover, and the smoked Gouda dinner muffins didn't quite work out at my dinner. And the Cornish Chunkies, you know, didn't get a five-star review from me. So yeah. I was starting to think, well, gosh darn it. But okay. redemption. <laughs> redemption. Redemption. Redemption in the form of shortbread, the best kind. (laughs) Exactly. This recipe was really easy to make, and I made a slight change at the end, and I think it's just a nice addition. It's definitely not required. Okay. But it starts with blanched hazelnuts, which we discussed were hazelnuts with the skins taken off. We talked about that in last week's episode yeah and I shared my method of doing that which is just to place the hazelnuts in a kitchen towel and then roll them all around and rub them together and I'm not too obsessive about it if there's some that still have the skins on them I don't worry about getting the skins off of every single hazelnut
0: yeah I mean isn't that an aesthetic thing the skin's not gonna hurt you is it I, that's my thought yeah yeah and I was lucky enough to find pre-blanched hazelnuts just in the market so I Got to skip that step and it saved me a little bit of time.
1: I know I'm kind of surprised by that because I think hazelnuts are, I don't know, the state nut or something like that from Oregon. Yeah, sounds right. So it
0: is interesting that you were able to find that and I wasn't. But I'll have to take a look where these were grown and report back because I I didn't note that at the time. But yeah, I I don't know I'd ever run across those back in the States, but here, just a run-of-the-mill thing, I guess. Well,
1: regardless of whether you buy them blanched or blanch them yourselves, you take a little over half of them and blitz them in the food processor. I do love the way the Brits write their words for food processors and blenders. They're always blitzing and whizzing everything.
0: It just makes it seem so kind of festive and, I don't know, know. like a party in your food processor. Give it a blitz!
1: so much more fun. The rest of the hazelnuts you go ahead and cut in half. Those you're going to press into the shortbread on the top. Yeah. Again, I was not too picky. If I cut them in half, great. If they cut in thirds, who cares? If they crumbled a little bit, didn't matter. Yeah. You know, I just did a really rough cut on those.
0: Yeah, so did I. I mean, I think we've talked so many times about the rustic being our favorite over the very precise. That's how you know something's homemade.
1: And then you take those hazelnuts and your stick of cold butter. Now, since there's only five ingredients in this recipe, I went with the best butter I could get, which in my case, I just love that Kerrygold butter. How
0: about you? Yeah, me too. I am so lucky here with the European style butters just being really prevalent. So I can happily go with just the Waitrose House brand butter, which I highly recommend. Nice, nice butter fat and really good quality. Along with the butter, you put some
1: plain flour or all-purpose flour, some mature cheddar or aged cheddar, finely grated. I went with a local cheddar that we have here. It's from a company called Beechers, and they make a cheese called Flagship. As I'm saying this aloud, I'm realizing that might not even be a cheddar, but it is aged. It's aged about 15 months. It reminds me of a cheddar, so I thought it worked very well.
0: And I used some of the leftover smoked cheddar that I had purchased Mm. along with my Gouda from those muffins. I was worried I wasn't going to have enough Gouda, so I also grabbed some cheddar. That uh, worked out for me really well here.
1: Oh, yummy. Okay, what a good idea. The final ingredient is just one medium egg lightly beaten. Now, one thing the instructions tell you to do, but it's not listed in the ingredients, is to also add in a half a teaspoon of salt. And I did follow that instruction because – It's often bothered me in our other shortbread recipes that salt is not an ingredient. And I am definitely one of those salt makes everything better people.
0: (laughs) And, you know, it's so interesting because at that point I thought my cheese was really, really salty. And so I skipped that. But maybe it does come down to the type and flavor of the cheese also.
1: I don't think you would be hurt by skipping it because okay. of the cheese inclusion. Yeah. and and Or especially if you're using salted butter. I mean, if you've got salted butter and the cheese, you probably could skip the salt.
0: Yeah, true enough. So after that, you are putting everything, including your egg, into the food processor. And the warning is don't pulse too long. You want the mixture to look like breadcrumbs. Andrea, mine came together almost immediately. I have a big oops written on my recipe here it was really sticky and it was more like pie dough for me so how was the texture for you at this point mm, I did not have that problem at okay,
1: all okay yep, it it really did look like breadcrumbs I use my pulse feature on yeah. my food processor yeah. I don't use you know I don't just turn it on and walk away sure. I mean that sounds like something I would do but I promise I didn't and I was counting as I did it and I noticed it took me 18 pulses if anyone cares <laughs>
0: Well, no, I do care because I was pulsing it really ginger as well. And it just, maybe my butter wasn't cold enough. Mm, Interesting. Maybe the cheese wasn't cold enough. Something about it, it seemed to come together like a pie crust really quickly.
1: That's really interesting. You know, I shredded my cheddar ahead of time because I knew I was going to be under a little bit of a time crunch. So I had shredded my cheddar chunked my butter, and beaten my egg. And I had all of those sitting in the fridge. And then I just threw them into the food processor and made it. So maybe having a little bit more
0: chill helped me out there. It may have. Yeah. So go on and tell me how the texture was after you chilled it.
1: After I chilled it, it was like any other shortbread dough that I had worked with. Okay, Um, Maybe a little less sticky. I did not find that I needed to add more flour to it to be able to work with it easily. Yeah. The instructions have you pulling off chunks of it and taking a tablespoon at a time, rolling it into a ball, putting it on your baking sheet, flattening it, and then pushing the hazelnut halves into the top of each biscuit. Yeah, right. Now, I made two separate batches. For the first batch, I followed those instructions, and it worked out just fine. I just didn't think it was the prettiest because – You know, just that flattened ball. They were sort of rough and jagged and and rustic looking. Yeah. So for my second round, I actually used my rolling pin. And I used those rolling pin bands that allow you to get a consistent height on your dough. Yeah. I chose the biggest one, which is the three-eighth of an inch, so almost half an inch, and I rolled it out into a square, and then I used my fluted ravioli cutter to cut it into little squares and little rectangles, and I thought that was much prettier.
0: I did love your picture, and I like how you deviated into the rectangle, by the way.
1: Yes. (laughs) Rectangle
0: month coming next. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: I do want to say when
0: cooking these, I would highly
1: recommend that you put some parchment under them or your silpat. All that butter is going to come out. I made my first batch the day that I prepared the dough, and a lot of that butter came out. I made my second batch a day later, so the dough had been sitting in the refrigerator overnight, and I felt like less butter escaped and sort of spread onto the sheet. So that might be a little tip. I think it was a little bit easier to clean up, and I'm guessing that more of the butter was retained in the actual biscuit instead of going onto the pan.
0: Well, what's going on with chemistry this week? Because... (laughs) I We had kind of quibbled a bit with BBC Good Food just saying, you know, leave this ball of dough in the fridge for a couple of hours. And last mm-hmm. episode, you, the shortbread queen, had kind of said, you know, I'd say two, but the longer you can keep it in there, the better. So mm-hmm. I took you at your word and I left it overnight. But when I baked mine off, I had that seepage that you're talking about. In fact, it was incredibly oily. And my finished cookie then reminded me, Andrea, of – have you ever made those little, like, grated Parmesan crisps? Literally the recipe is you grate Parmesan cheese onto a cookie sheet and bake it.
1: I'm a huge fan of the cheese wisp. Yes, oh, I so have is that what made they're it.
0: called? Tell me that's again. That's what I call them. Cheese wisp? Oh, I love it. Cheese
1: wisp. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I felt like I was making cheese wisps with these. Yeah. They just mm-hmm. melted. And then the interesting thing is I let them cool on the baking sheet. And I believe that was the instruction to not take them to the rack right away. Yeah, leave to cool on the Mm -hmm. baking sheet, then transfer. And I'm really glad I did because they did kind of then crisp back up. And I liked the texture, but they didn't remind me necessarily of a shortbread cookie.
1: They did not at all remind me of a shortbread cookie. And in fact, when I serve these... No one thought it was a shortbread cookie. I mean, people just were kind of calling it a cracker or yes. a cracker yes. bread or yes. something like that. Right. And so that's where my little addition comes into play. I have that hot honey from the Bee Local Company. Oh, I think yeah. it's down in Oregon. And we sprinkled or not sprinkled, we swizzled, we swirled. Listen to we you. dolloped. <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) We put tiny bits of the hot honey on top of these, and that was a fabulous addition. So that's my little recommendation that I'm going to throw out there. I think that the cheddar gives these a depth, and then that hot honey gave it a little bit of a kick. If I made these again, I might even put in a tiny little bit of cayenne, maybe like an eighth of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper or some other sort of pepper, because I just thought with the cheese and the butter, these were so rich. They were so buttery. Mm -hmm. I wanted a little something
0: else. And that's where that hot honey worked for me. That sounds so delicious. I'm glad to know that your texture was much like mine. I was thinking that maybe Mm -hmm. I had failed that recipe, but perhaps that's just a misnamed recipe. Maybe it's more like a cracker. I thought they would be really good, you know, nibbling with like cocktail or something because they were really, really rich, as you said.
1: Oh, it's like you saw my little note here. I made a note that said these remind me of Dory Greenspan's cocktail cookies. Yes. She makes those tiny little cookie bites that are savory combinations instead of sweet. And That's exactly what I thought of with this. I think this would be perfect for an appetizer at a dinner party. I do have to say I liked them much better warm than I did, you know, the next day or the day after. It does say they'll keep up to three days in an airtight container. And one of the reasons I so love that Earl Grey shortbread cookie is I found it was equally good after one day, two day, three day. You know, maybe even all the way up to five days. I'm not sure they ever lasted that long at my house. But with this, and maybe it's because of the cheese and the butter, it it just, I don't know. It, It wasn't as great for me once it had chilled and sat out.
0: And I will give a warning as well. I had these cooling on the rack, and both my husband and my daughter came into the kitchen and got incredibly excited, and then I didn't say what they were, and took a bite, and they just were shocked. They both said, oh my gosh, I thought this was a coconut cookie.
1: Oh, how funny, just because of the look of it. I think so,
0: because it kind of had that lacy texture, maybe a little bit like coconut. It had the nut on top. That wasn't really a giveaway. Even the color, I mean, they were, of course, cheese here in the UK is not orange. Even when it's cheddar, that's kind of an interesting little tidbit. So it's white. So it even had maybe a coconutty look. So I will say, yeah, these weren't a huge hit with the kids in my family. Did your daughter like these? Did she try
1: these? She did not try them. My husband liked them. We had some friends over. They liked them. And I had a similar thought just because people kind of – it seemed like they didn't know when to eat them. It was like, do I eat this as a snack? Do I eat this as my bread with my meal? I think if I made these for a party, I would – very finely dice some rosemary and put it in there because I think the inclusion of that green would give people the tip off that these are savory and not sweet. So have it as, I think the word cocktail cracker is perfect.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, let's rename it the Cheddar and Hazelnut Cocktail Cracker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really like that stuff, and that sounds like a great idea. Our fourth bake of the month is the Savory Pumpkin Bread Pudding and it uses one of my favorite pumpkins and that's the kabocha pumpkin is that one that you're
0: familiar with or that you've baked with before you know Andrea i'm not but is that the squash that won you the east side pie making contest oh it, i think it might mm-hmm. have been i'll have to go back and look mm-hmm. yeah it is
1: one of the very first ones that rolls out in my market here in olympia it's a pretty great pumpkin. I make soup with it a lot. Yes. I think I'm going to have to rely upon the preheaters to help me out on this particular recipe. I just think because of my calendar, I'm not going to get around to making it this week in the bake-along. I would love it if our listeners would bake it along for us and let me know how it turns out
0: because I'm thinking it might be nice on my Thanksgiving table. I think that is so excellent. And, you know, Andrea, we wanted to acknowledge that it is October. I mean, last season in 2018, we did an entire month of pumpkin. So we didn't want to leave pumpkin lovers, of which you and I are certainly too high and dry this season. But this was a really nice savory. And you and I are also really big fans of recipes like this, which take the bread with some cream and eggs and cheese. And here they're using Gruyere, which is one of my favorite cheeses. And then you you assemble everything in your 9 by 9 by 2 in this case. And what do you do? You refrigerate it overnight and bake it off in the morning or whenever you're ready to cook. And it almost doesn't get better than that.
1: And I think especially for Thanksgiving or any big holiday, when your kitchen is packed and your oven is full, it's so nice to have a dish like this that is already done and... Well, I guess you still need your oven, so it doesn't help if your oven's full. But you don't need the counter space and all the prep work. You can just pop it in the oven and then be done.
0: Yeah. So as you guys know, this is the fourth week we won't be reviewing this one. But if you do bake along, I think Andrea and I are both really interested in how it turned out for you.
1: And remember, we'll have a link to these recipes in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 148 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as
0: well as in our Facebook listeners group. Andrea, when we were brainstorming ideas for October mini-segments, I suggested we pull into the Gadget Garage to talk about the Thermomix. And I believe your reaction was… The what mix <laughs> Don't worry, I hadn't heard of this until recently either. And there's a reason. Although it's been around for almost 40 years, this German appliance didn't reach U.S. shores until 2016. But many of my friends here in London have one or have been asking my opinion about buying one. So I thought it was time to brush up on what Wired Magazine calls the smartest tool in the home chef's arsenal. High praise indeed.
1: Now, you and listeners know that one thing I can't abide is a one-and-done appliance. (laughs) That is, a gadget that only does one thing. So for me to spend money and devote counter space, my gadgets have to work hard So I'm dying to know, Stefan, what exactly can the Thermomix do for me?
0: Well, the better question may be, what can't it do for you? Ooh! This innovative appliance that looks a little bit like a blender sitting inside a bread machine can. Are you ready? Weigh, mix blend stir chop heat mill and boil it can also steam it has a sous vide function it can crush ice and grind coffee beans it can grate cheese and importantly for bakers it can knead dough and it does it all with a companion app that provides guidelines recipes and instructions so no wonder it's sometimes called the cooking robot
1: that is (laughs) mind-boggling
0: would it also cut down on my food prep and all my dishes Yes, that's one of the biggest rewards of using this appliance, which markets itself as 12 appliances in one. You don't have to use a kitchen scale, measuring cups, graters, knives. The Thermomix does it all. And I realize I sound like someone on a paid commercial announcement for Thermomix. So Thermomix, call us. The recipe example used in the Wired Magazine review was quiche. The reviewer made the dough in the mixing bowl and whipped up the eggs. So far, not too different than hauling out your kitchen egg. But then he chopped his onions and sautéed bacon in the mixing bowl. In fact, the only thing he didn't do in the mixing bowl was bake it. But many dishes like meat sauces, risottos, soups, and curries can be cooked right in the mixing bowl. So it sounds like it might be a boon for making dinner, but
1: this is Preheated, the baking podcast. (laughs) Tell us, what kind of sweets can you make in the Thermomix?
0: Yeah, and here's where the Thermomix may struggle. As you might imagine, once I started down this rabbit hole, I discovered there are tons of Thermomix-specific cookbooks and blogs out there. But many of the sweet recipes, say for classic vanilla cupcakes, only use the appliance for mixing the batter, which is then transferred to a traditional oven to bake. Hmm, what about no bakes then? This sweet category seems to be where the Thermomix shines, particularly for something like a no-bake cheesecake or custards and mousses, desserts that may need to be heated but not finished off in an oven. One of several Thermomix-specific blogs, Thermo Bliss, I love that name, (laughs) has quite a few sweet recipes, including a Toblerone cheesecake that relies on the appliance for everything from crushing the biscuits for the crust to whipping up the cream cheese and chocolate filling. Well, the sous vide and my beloved Instant Pot
1: are also not great at baking, but really good for the no bake items. So it sounds like it may be a little bit limited in what you can make, sweets wise, but it still would cut down
0: on your prep and your clutter. And I think that's the biggest draw. If you're looking to streamline your appliances, especially ones that may only do one thing, or if you've just started out building your kitchen gadgets, this could find a place on your wish list. I think it may also be handy for new cooks who may not have skills or confidence and can rely on the machine and its app to guide them. It seems too like an appliance for cooks who may favor efficiency over
1: pleasure in the kitchen. And I say that with all due respect, since I know we both regularly toggle between the two kinds of cooking and baking. Oh, yeah. I'm guessing that efficiency comes with a
0: pretty high price tag, though. You guessed right. The newest models can reach $2,000. Now, it should be noted that Thermomix pioneered this gadget, but there are several other comparable appliances on the market, from brands like KitchenAid and t that come in a little cheaper but may not have as many bells and whistles. So what would I call this device if I'm searching for one to get the best price? Many places call it the all-in-one or a multifunction device, and I've also seen it called a superfood processor. And like
1: any new appliance, you'd need to devote some serious time to researching its functions and abilities and how you may need or want to modify your favorite recipes before you take the leap,
0: especially at that price point. Yeah, for sure. So listeners, if you have a Thermomix or a comparable appliance, let us know what you use it for most. We're especially interested in what sweet treats you love and your favorite cookbooks or blogs. Drop us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or comment in our Facebook listeners group.
1: Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing on to this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and next week we're kicking off our birthday and anniversary month with a full lineup of cakes, specifically One Layer Wonders to help us through all of our celebrations in style. We can't wait for this fun and festive set of shows, including our milestone 150th episode, that will help us wrap up our third season and usher in our fourth. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, PreheatedPodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe. And consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.